Hi, I'm Ali. And I'm Penny. And you're listening to Not Too Busy to Write. The podcast about writing, publishing and creativity amongst life's many other demands. Yeah, so I think tonight we had planned to talk about dismissing ideal conditions for writing. Um, So Penny, what have been some of your kind of ideal conditions that you had imagined that you would write your great works under? um, I, I imagined I would have lots of space in my schedule. (laughs) I think I imagined that I would, when I was sort of in the deep throes of a book, I would go and get a cabin in the woods. Didn't happen. Um, (laughs) What else did I imagine? I suppose just um, more control over my schedule than I have. How about you? What what did you imagine it would be like? Um, I don't know, to be honest, exactly what I imagined it would be like, but I think I did um, think it'd be slightly more glamorous than it actually (laughs) is. Um, I think I kind of thought that I would be gripped by these great kind of waves of inspiration and I would rush off and I would write my great works all on paper first, obviously, definitely on paper, um, (laughs) in a very quiet, pure white, minimal, beautiful room and um, and it would be quite wonderful and I would sort of waft around and do these things and um, yeah, it obviously was never anything like that but I think that for quite a long time I used the idea of ideal conditions as perhaps a way of procrastinating or a way of putting off writing. I feel like this might be a common theme amongst many writers, yeah. <laughs> um, the idea of ideal conditions. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think um, I think it's quite easy to use ideal conditions as a way of avoiding work um, mm-hmm. and, a, and a way of avoiding um, particularly, I guess, quite vulnerable creative work, because this is definitely not just um, relevant to writers. I think it's relevant to all kinds of creative work that makes you quite mm-hmm. vulnerable. Um, but um, I think particularly big projects, mm. like quite big projects, it's it's a particular problem for, because we have this sort of slightly romantic idea about how we might um, mm-hmm. get down to a big project. And in reality, it's, um, in my experience, about breaking it down into tiny bite-sized pieces and just getting on with it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there is only one way to eat an elephant really um and that's kind of how it feels when you're working on a big project is you've got to break it down into these little chunks um I was always really reticent about starting a project that I thought would make me vulnerable when I had young children Mm. I didn't want to um kind of go into the headspace where my head was very preoccupied with a project but Mm -hmm. particularly a project that kind of had that I felt would impact on me. So I decided that I wasn't going to write fiction when they were very young, because I've always found fiction to be very absorbing Mm -hmm. and very difficult to come back from. And so I obviously had the brainwave that, well, instead I'll write a memoir. (laughs) (laughs) um, 
<laughs> I love that logic. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure to what extent I thought that through because obviously it made me incredibly vulnerable. And at times there was a lot of going into headspaces that I probably would have been best to not go into. Um, and the children were still small. Um, but but yeah, I think that actually helped with that kind of idea of dismissing ideal conditions because now I'm completely not worried about going into a fiction headspace or actually any headspace because I realise that I've got the resilience and the tools to come back from it and it isn't as all-encompassing or a negative experience so long as you know how to kind of reel yourself back out of your work and get back into the world, the other mm. world that you need to inhabit. That's so interesting. And it might actually also explain why I started writing fiction this past year, because I think part of the appeal for me was I wanted to be in a different world for a while. And it is really indulgent. It feels quite indulgent in a way, doesn't it, to be in a whole different world. But it's true. I mean, now I think um, having much more writing experience than I had a number of years ago, I think I probably get myself in and out of that writing space easier than I would have been able to do when I was younger. So it's all right. But also I find myself when I'm in the middle of writing of um, being in that headspace. And in fact, even this week, because I've just finished the second draft of my next proposal and each night this week, I've had a child wake up in the night and need me for a period of time and not being able to get back to sleep, even though the child did, because mm -hmm. I started picking apart a problem that I was having with the proposal. So I feel like I'm in that headspace at the moment. But um it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I think there's probably lots of sort of ways of learning how to dismiss ideal conditions. I thought maybe we could talk today about how we've learned how to do it. Um, and one of the things I realised a few years ago was that I had to stop listening to male writers about what they do in their writing life because it looks nothing like what my writing life looks like and interestingly even not just male writers but male um men doing creative work in general I feel like I don't have a lot in common with them mm. um it's a you know not I guess 100% across the board some men are very involved in care caregiving but I'd say largely they're not as involved but um even I remember reading Cal Newport's book book deep work which I'm a big fan of in lots of ways because I am a big believer in allowing yourself deep work and that it's very nourishing and it's um it's the best way to make the most of your headspace and your creative energy but at the same time some of what he suggests in that book I was just actually laughing out loud I mean I think he kind of referenced people who went off like academics who went away for the entire summer to be able to work on some deep work or, um, you know, taking chunks of every week, like where you literally, even the fact he talks about turning his phone off all the time. And I'm like, I don't know a single mother who can put their phone on airplane mode unless they're literally sitting next to their children. Because I just, I mean, I, my children spend every other weekend with their dad, but my phone is by my side. I can't even turn it off. I can never put it on airplane mode. I can't even, I don't even feel like I can put it on airplane mode when they're at school during the day, because we all know schools call quite often with things going wrong. Um, particularly when you have a disabled child, all sorts of things can happen. So um, yeah, I just think sometimes it's best not 
to pay too much attention to what men are talking about when it comes to the conditions that they write under or create under? I think that's absolutely right. I think that um, they're obviously coming at it from quite a different perspective and it can at times be quite a privileged perspective as well. Um, I think there's a well-known actor who has a book out quite recently who talks about taking himself off into the wilderness and writing and and that's the dream, isn't oh, it? It's a dream. I mean, it is, oh my God, it's, it's the dream. <laughs> It's everybody wants to do it, but whether or not everybody can is a different um, a different proposition. I think for me, I actually stopped listening to anybody talk about their writing process mm. because I was almost crippled thinking, oh, I'm not doing it that way or I'm not doing it this way. And I there was a brilliant line in one of Joan Didion's books and I can't remember which book it is but where she talks about tending her own garden and she mm. is literally saying that she focuses on herself and that was probably the best piece of advice that I've read and I adopted it I thought right that's what I'm going to do and I very much switched off from reading about other writers or from looking at what other writers were doing and just focused on what I was doing because at the end of the day nobody else has your conditions nobody else has your mm. circumstances and I knew that I had to find a way through that worked for me and to do that I really had to get a bit blinkered and just ignore what other people were doing but I do think there's something about scarcity and scarcity of time that really helps you dismiss ideal conditions because otherwise yes. you wouldn't get any writing done at all. I know. And I think this isn't talked about enough. And in fact, I think it was my agent or perhaps it was my editor. We had this conversation about how, um, first of all, they, they had no concerns about me meeting my deadline. It was quite a tight deadline as far as book, book deadlines go. But um, I mean, I was fairly confident I could, but, um, but we were discussing and um, my editor was a bit like, um, yeah, I mean, you know, mothers who write, I mean, they get it done. They just get mm -hmm. it done, you know? And, um, and I think that's that, it's where that old adage comes from. If you want something done, get a busy person to do it. Absolutely. Um, and I think, yeah, the fact that when we have these quite um, um, strict time constraints, that actually can be quite a positive mm -hmm. thing. That can be a really positive thing. Yeah, I love a good deadline. I love working to deadline. Um, and I find that it's really motivating. And I set myself little deadlines all the time as well, because I just like to kind of have that feeling of a bit of pressure. But yeah, I definitely think that if you want to get something done, then ask a busy person and preferably one with kids because because <laughs> um, I think it's just that as you go along, you learn how to manage your time. Um, you learn to understand time better as well and how it works. So you're kind of, yeah. And I mean, I am very focused um, on delivering work to a good standard and on time. And I will at times have been known for my children to not arrive at birthday parties on the right day and different things because I just I don't have the brain space for all of it but when it yeah. comes to work I can I can manage that and I do think that a lot of that just has to do with the fact that you know you just have to do it sometimes that's 
old. Yep. Yeah, I think doing it and also allowing other things to be let go. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's sometimes when my kids go off to school, um, I sometimes do have to clean up first of all before I can write just because I'm not exaggerating when I say sometimes it's an absolute disaster in in my kitchen. And I actually have to work in my kitchen. I don't have a study at home. Um, And it like to the disaster to the point where like I sort of have to climb over furniture that my son has created into sort of a sensory thing going on in the, in the kitchen. So I might spend 15 minutes just tidying up quickly, but I just don't then do anything else. If I want to write, I write first and I don't do anything else. And so, um, you know, that might mean eating lunch and leaving all the dishes, leaving the breakfast dishes, leaving all that kind of stuff and just, and just not worrying about it till later when I've got the kids around and then I can do all that when they're around. But um, then I think that deadline of when the kids get home or when um, I know that they're going to interrupt me or whatever it is, it's a really great motivator to get in the right headspace. I don't need a muse to come to me. I need to <laughs> just <laughs> grab that time and use it. Yeah, I think it's to a certain extent, about dismissing ideal conditions across the board like you say sometimes you might not get the dishes done I um when the kids are at school I work I don't do very much else Mm. so when they are in childcare, that is work time and it's not time for cleaning the house it's not time for making dinner for later it's not time for any of those things it is work time it is time that I don't have to stamp like many people um and it's also time that I miss like many people but yeah I think that dismissing ideal conditions is very much about learning to let things slip that maybe in the past might have been non-negotiable um and yeah I think as well what you said was a really good point about the deadline we've got many deadlines every day you've got mm. well you've got dinner time you've got school pickup you've got bedtime you've got all these little things and reminders of time and how time works as well and, and moments yes. yeah and I think that's the gift of living in a busy household in a way that we mm-hmm. have these markers of time constantly and it kind of um um, the passage of time is really obvious when you have a family, I think, in some ways as well, because your life is punctuated by by school days and non-school days and term time and holiday time and the children Absolutely. getting bigger and the birthdays mm-hmm. passing by. And, um, and yeah, it is really interesting. It's really, really interesting. And I think as well, um, I think perhaps before we get stuck into a big project and maybe if we haven't done a big writing project before, it's easy to get caught up on this idea that, everybody else has better conditions than me. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and it's interesting because I have, I know writer friends who have on paper much better conditions than me, um, as in they're in a two-parent family and they don't have disabled kids <laughs> um, and they probably do about the same amount of other work that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet writing projects have not got off the ground anyway. Um, I don't think my particular set of conditions have stopped me from accessing the writing time I need to write. I've had to let other things go. And I guess that's yes. the thing, what it comes down to, isn't it? It's like, it comes down to what choices that you personally want to make. Um, and, and I want to make 
the choice to write. So I do, and I let yeah. other things go instead. Absolutely, and I think it's there's something about learning to be okay with those choices. So yeah, when I was first writing the memoir, my youngest had no childcare apart from my husband one day a week. Um, so that day I would work, um, and obviously the day was punctuated by school drop-off and school pick-up because I still tended to do that I didn't always do it but I still often did that and I worked on Sundays and Sundays became work day usually Sunday afternoons and that was actually quite a big thing to get my head around of letting it be okay to use what we kind of see as earmarks Mm. as family time yeah or you know because it was a time when in the main we weren't doing very much anyway we were hanging around the house and I thought well we're all at home so I'm just going to go away because everybody seemed happy and that's how it began was well I'll just go and work and then I realized that it was actually because it was dead time I felt better if I was doing something productive Mm. with it and something you chose to do rather than you just end up doing like exactly (laughs) yes exactly because I probably would have just gone and potted in the kitchen or something like that so yeah it it became something that I had to get my head around that you know it's okay for me to go and do this um that's so interesting and I I wonder I've not really had that much of a problem with working on the weekends I think because I have always worked freelance and um and I've over the years although I don't tend to shoot on the weekends very much I over the years I've I've traveled a lot on the weekends for Monday shoots or traveled on Saturday from a Friday shoot or whatever um and my ex-husband as well worked freelance and did that kind of work that went over the weekends back when I was assistant I was sometimes doing jobs that went for two or three weeks at a time and that was just straight through and so I sort of always worked in a way that's quite flexible and wasn't like um weekday weekend specific and so I sort of don't really designate my time quite so maybe um I guess traditionally maybe some other people do so for me for instance even when I was writing when I was writing the book and I wrote it most of it in four months the bulk of it I wrote in four months which isn't that long. Um, so, so I had to use the weekends. Um, every other weekend when my kids were with their dad, I put in quite a lot of hours um, writing. Um, but I still, I did still have to have some rest time in there because my weekdays are quite intense with the kids. But um, I think when we're looking at ideal conditions and like dismissing dismissing ideal conditions we probably also need to look at like our time overall and think about what kind of strange assumptions we're making about the way we should spend our time yeah absolutely i think that it's it becomes um a bit uncomfortable to a certain extent when you start thinking um how you view how your time should be spent Mm. um i very much felt that my time should be spent with the children or that it should be spent doing something attached to the house and these are things that um just kind of are so insidious they just sort of seep into you and I found it really quite um I don't know what word to use to be honest I think it quite freeing when I started to think no this time is time that I will use for work and it feels much more balanced Mm. Um, and I'm much 
happier I think often people see work as being something that is a chore or that's in the way but I certainly feel that that my work and having that space to create something that I get a lot of satisfaction from and that I feel creates a lot of meaning definitely makes me a better mother when I'm with the children it makes me more present when I'm with them um, because I'm not constantly wishing that I was doing it because if I wasn't doing it I would be wishing that Mm. I was I wouldn't be content without doing it um yeah that's just something that some part of myself that I've had to come to terms with that I I get a deep amount of satisfaction from doing this and yeah it makes me happier overall oh I completely agree and actually that um reminds me of something else which I think is really important is this idea of acceptance of where we are but also what we need and I think accepting where we are is really really helpful and it doesn't it doesn't always work and it's not always easy like I know um my son is sleeping a bit better these days but certainly while I was writing the the book um and I was on a this really tight deadline he was still in this period of sleep where he was at least once or twice a week waking up at 2 a.m and not going back to sleep again and those are not ideal conditions yeah. for writing a book yeah. <laughs> because um, I was on a tight deadline. I was doing interviews. I was doing really long and quite intense and very personal interviews and, uh, and having to transcribe them and having to obviously and do all that research and, and write, I wrote 80,000 words in like a, probably I think three or four months. But, um, but what I had to do and what I have had to do, I think as a parent in a kind of, um, challenging situation is um get to a point where I accept when things go awry and when things go really Mm. wrong and sort of start again so like on those days where it would just be really I'm I'm not even going to call it a night's sleep you know it would be like maybe two or three hours sleep in the evening (laughs) and then the rest of the and then awake Um, and um and so what I would have to do is accept what has happened has happened Mm-hmm. And it's hard to accept that. It's hard to not be a bit resentful and a bit angry, not at him, but at the situation. And um, and then I would force myself to take a nap for um, a couple of hours, even though I've got this looming deadline and so mm-hmm. much to do and like quite a lot of fear at this point. Um, but then the acceptance of the fact that I was not going to do good work, only two mm-hmm. or three hours sleep, and then just take a bit of a nap. And even if that meant I cut my writing hours in half that day, then at least I could get on and do something of value afterwards. And I think that can be really helpful as well. That idea of um, accepting where you are, even if it's a bit shit where you are that particular day. And obviously at the moment, you know, everybody is in that place pretty much at the moment where things are much worse than they usually would be in terms of your time and your ability to work. That's absolutely what I was going to say was acceptance has had to be something that I've worked with um, over the last wee while. I have also had to realise about being flexible as well, because obviously there's some parts of my work which are very headstand, intense writing parts, but there are other parts that I can do next to the children or with the children around during the day there's a lot of admin there's a lot of planning there's a lot of that kind of work so that what I've done is I've scheduled it so that I work early and work late Mm. and 
on the very intense creative stuff that I just can't be interrupted from. Mm. So that's almost like creating ideal conditions. I've had to claw that time from somewhere. Yeah. But there's other stuff that I can do during the day. Um, And also the children are slightly older now so that I can explain that sometimes I will be doing things and they have to go away and do something else. Something else that I might not see as ideal. They've been spending more time on screens than they usually would. But again, that's about letting this kind of picture perfect ideas that we're full up of all the time from the media about letting them sometimes just slide you've just got to sometimes do what you can do yeah so um yeah like I've let so much slide this <laughs> past year I mean I just I know that's probably a really common feeling um I've let so much slide and it's funny there's been times where I thought oh my god if I if I'd known a year and a half ago how the conditions I'd be working in yeah oh my god I just I would be really shocked um but I think as well, that's part of the idea about acceptance, isn't it? And about deciding what I'm going to prioritise in my life. And um, for me, actually, I've just written an article about this, which I'm not sure exactly what day it's coming out, but it might be out by the time this episode comes out. <laughs> I'll put it in the show notes if it is, um, about this idea of, of having to make choices about um, what's the most important thing. And sometimes writing is the most important thing. And sometimes... Um, family stuff is the most important thing and it's a constant reassessment and I think that flexibility is really important when we're in these really um, unusual times but also just in general when you have a lot of people dependent on you it's quite important Mm -hmm. to be flexible and again that's why I come back to this idea of like these writing routines you know this idea that you have to write every single day I find just um, like insurmountably challenging this idea that I would have to write every day. And in fact, actually, that's not true. I actually pretty much do write every single day, mm-hmm. but I'm writing, I'm working on lots of different projects, um, a lot of different things, but I don't necessarily work on a big project every single day. And I go through phases of that project where it does become every day and then phases mm-hmm. where it's not. And I think um, it's important to recognize that. And I think as well, we also need to recognize even aside from the times we're living in writers, pretty much universally have other work that they do Mm. other than just writing books I mean I think most writers are either teaching or they're journalists or sometimes full-time journalists in fact and Mm. um and they're they're running other businesses and they have speaking careers and they do so many other things um that we have to sort of put this idea in our mind that um that to be a proper writer I need to just be working on my book or on this particular project yeah because so much of writing isn't about word count anyway um so much writing is plotting planning researching um and then um the kind of the more business side of things of actually being able to promote yourself being able to promote your book and all of this as well so that actually the words on the page are you're kind of come the sort of tip of an iceberg to a certain extent um so yeah it's about the fact that you've got to wear many different hats and that at times the writing has to get squeezed into other other pockets of time because um if you're too 
fixed with this idea of ideal conditions, then being a writer isn't exactly ideal. Because you know, ideal at times, you know, <laughs> because at times you're going to get your editor phone you and say, I need you to do this, or your publicist, I need you to do that. You know, there's other things that you have to do. Um, the business of writing yes, stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the whole business of all the things that you need to be to um carve a career in this day and age so absolutely yeah and just have a bit of flex I think is quite essential really but um yeah oh it's funny I was just watching a little documentary before about um coming of age movies and 80s movies and um and it was a little clip from the breakfast club and they're remember you know they're in they're in this um, detention for the whole day and their assignment is in a very stern voice. He tells them the assignment is to watch, to write a thousand words by the end of the day. And I'm like, oh my God, I cracked that out in an hour these days. <laughs> oh, I know. My third, yeah, my daughter, she's, my daughter's 15 and um, she's doing her GCSEs just now. And she was saying, oh, mom, I had to write this assignment. And it was, I think it was about a thousand words or 1500 words and she said and and I was thinking it's so much and then I was like oh no that's like an hour of mum's life and I was like yes this is is, I think a really good point that I think maybe we get daunted by these um these numbers in a way but um the more we write I mean the faster we get generally although saying that sometimes it really isn't fast it totally depends on what you're writing and what you're working on but um but it's a craft like any other. You get it's used to it. A craft you, um, it. Yeah. you just yeah, you learn you learn how to um, work at, at a at a certain pace in order to meet deadlines. And um and yeah, it's it becomes less daunting to get through the work as well. I think that's probably another layer of the ideal conditions. You know, we, we probably so. dismiss that we get used to yeah. working at a certain speed as well. It becomes a um it's a muscle really, I think it just becomes a habit, it becomes a way of of doing things becomes a way of thinking as well um you said earlier about when you would wake up and you wouldn't necessarily go back to sleep because you're in the project I am always in the project I (laughs) will find that I'm walking along I I can be walking along with the kids and a line will pop out and I'll think oh my goodness I'm not talking to children that's my subconscious has just kind of produced this line and I'll have to write it down and send it to myself in a message um which I do um but yeah I think it's it's that thing of of these kind of acceptable realizations that you come to that you think well okay is this okay is it okay if I'm always in this project can I mentally can I deal with that can I deal with feeling a bit guilty that I'm always a little bit somewhere else Mm. but I also think that's partly who I was um well not who I was who I am um Mm. I've always been like that I get preoccupied with whatever I'm doing so whatever job I did I would be preoccupied with it anyway I think an exceptionally important part of dismissing ideal conditions is the for me the fallacy of the muse I mm, I hate yeah. the idea like I actually hate the idea of a muse anyway I think it is this horribly outmoded idea because I think the muse is usually female mm. and she usually comes to the male and gives the male his inspiration and exactly. he cannot possibly survive without this 
voiceless muse whose voice he channels and puts down on the page and overwrites um so yes I detest the idea of the yeah music and me too and also it is not it is absolutely not my experience whatsoever my experience is um definitely moments of inspiration but following my curiosity I get rewarded if I follow my curiosity and I keep working mm -hmm. um that's where the work comes together and it's funny because I really think I really see writing as a craft I do yeah. and maybe it's an art as well it's probably both but a craft I guess the difference is this idea that you um have have tools that you use and it's very specific skills that you hone um and it's practice and it's repetitive work um and it's yeah honing those skills and so that's where I guess um the whole idea of the muse, yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me. And it seems very, I don't know, sort of hyper-masculine or something. Yeah, it does to me. It doesn't make any sense. And I, I do find that when I'm writing, um, I am access at times, the best times, that I'll be accessing a different part, definitely, of my brain that I've gone into. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I don't know where I've quite been when I come back. I can read words back on the page and not recognise them. Yeah. That doesn't mean that they've come from somewhere outside me. That's just been that I am actually inhabiting a different space in my head than I usually do. Um, yeah, so, I wonder if that's, that's also different. also switching off your filters and just expressing what's in there without kind of constantly judging and filtering what it is that's coming, yeah. like, you're thinking about. It's really interesting, actually, that you should say that. I watched an amazing conversation the other night, and it's up online. Um, we should link to it in the show notes. It's between Max Porter and George Saunders the other mm -hmm. night. And I love both of their work. And so to see them kind of sparring off each other was absolutely brilliant. And George Saunders was talking about that was this idea almost of a filter of of you switch off like your response in a way to your mm. thoughts as well yeah. um and I think there is something to be said about that they were also talking a lot about editing um and kind of coming back to yourself on the page so that when you're editing you are in dialogue with former versions of yourself it's almost being haunted by oh, different parts yes. of yourself it's which so I true. absolutely loved and I, I thought it really resonated because there's been times that I I hate coming back to what I've written I, I almost feel icky sometimes <laughs> sometimes because it's so bad or sometimes because it's too revealing or yeah it's just that oh I want to look at it and then you obviously edit and um and George Saunders was saying when you edit obviously you're bringing a different self because you might definitely have a, a different self yes exactly but also yeah. you you could have a day where you've had very little sleep and then the next day you could have a day where you're having a great day and, yeah. and so all these different versions act on the text which I absolutely loved that thought but then even beyond that so today I was doing a podcast um about you know where they were asking me questions about my book and the podcast host read back some of my words to me because she wanted to kind of <laughs> talk about something specific <laughs> of course I don't remember writing those exact words and I remember I was nodding my head going I mean that sounds quite good I mean it sounds quite I mean it makes sense and I, I agree with her point but of course it was me <laughs> but it does now feel a bit somehow distant from me like it was another version of me 
-hmm. writing it. I know it's fascinating, isn't it? Um, on that note, we have um, talked probably for about half an hour about dismissing our ideal so, conditions. Again. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, um, what are you reading at the moment? Well, actually, funny you should say that. No, I have, I read an amazing book last week and I haven't shut up about it since. So I'm really excited to talk about it. It's um, a book by Shalom Auslander, who I absolutely love. He is a hilarious writer. And this book is called Mother for Dinner. Ooh. And the yes, <laughs> I love <laughs> that title. Exactly <laughs> as it sounds. Um, he is an American cannibal, and his family have this cannibal heritage. And his mother dies and decrees that they are to eat her. <gasps> and yes, that is the premise of the book. Oh my god! And it is a. Uh, exceptionally funny it is like don't read it on the bus funny because you will snort <laughs> horribly um not that anyone is on buses just now but I was yes, going to say I don't remember much, that I don't yeah, remember that place <laughs> it, it is not a public transport book um but although it's exceptionally funny it's also deeply serious it's a book about identity politics um mm. it's a book about families, dysfunctional families, anyone who's grown up in a family that's even vaguely dysfunctional would notice it. Um, it has so many richly layered themes, but it is done so well because like the rest of his work, it's, it appears to be an easy read. It, you can mm. read it very quickly, but yeah. there is a lot to ironically um, digest and dissect <laughs> underneath it. Um, and I absolutely loved it and then really struggled to know what to read next. And I have had American Psycho on the shelf for years. Oh, so now is the time. Yeah. And I thought, yeah. well, I've read one quite gruesome book. I'm going to read that. And yeah. I picked it up and I could not get into it. I oh, didn't. That's so interesting. Yeah, I didn't like it. And But I had read a couple of weeks ago that was harsh, the um, hashtag, harsh writing advice had been trending on twitter oh yeah yeah um, i remember yeah. that i saw quite um, a lot of that yeah. yeah it was quite funny and one person had said um that you can learn as much about writing from books that you don't like as you can from books that you do mm. and i tend to be guilty of only continuing with a book if it really grabs me i'm not good at making myself read something that i don't initially like but i thought this something that I can learn from American Psycho so I will keep going and you actually, will okay that's interesting I feel like that's yeah. a slightly controversial stance to keep going with a book you actively aren't liking but I yeah. think if you're right reading it from the point of view of uh, trying to understand what it is yes you don't like I think that's pretty but I, different yeah but I think what's really important with American Psycho is I don't think you are meant to like it it is the narrator is one of the most repulsive narrators mm. I've ever come across his friends are awful they're yeah. so shallow they're so blank and of course that's what they're meant to be because it's a book about the American condition and yeah. so it's actually exceptionally relevant as well um yes. yeah so I'm, I'm persevering with it and actually I'm getting 
a lot out of it much that's, much more than I thought I would that's really interesting I'm not very good with continuing with books that I don't like actually no worse than that I'm not great at picking up books that I'm pretty sure I'm not gonna like mm. which maybe I should do slightly more often yeah perhaps I should yeah, I've not been great with it either but I'm not that I'm not that I don't um I do pick up books that I'm not sure about or are new to me or in genres that are very different because I read across genres, but um, I tend to go with my mood. Mm-hmm. I kind of clump read in certain genres. <laughs> but um, yeah. Well, I've decided I'm going to reward myself. Um, I've got the new Joan Didion just waiting <gasps> to read it. So oh, that's, that's an excellent reward. Yeah, so I'm not letting myself read it yet until I finish this, which means that I'll read it faster. So that I can <laughs> it. But um, how about you? What are you reading? Well, I was so excited about this read that I texted you, didn't I? As soon as yes. I finished it. Oh, my goodness. It's called... Um, Kim Ji Yong, born 1982, and it's by, it by? Cho Nam Ju. It's a Korean book, and it's in translation. And it was a huge bestseller in Korea in, I think it was 2016. It came out, um, and it's been a, I kind of, I think multiple million copies around the world have been sold, and it's in translation. I think in most languages now. It is. I mean, it's so. It's sort of hard to describe the impact it had. And I read it, actually, I listened to it incredibly quickly. Um, it's really short. It only took three hours on audio. Um, and it's, on the surface, you think it can't be that particularly interesting because it's got a very unusual narration style. It's, it's basically in the form of um, psychiatrist notes about this woman. And so it's quite a dry voice. Um, and in fact, actually, I'm going to read, <laughs> I'm just going to read a, like a little bit about about it from the from the jacket copy because it it sort of shows the style that it's in. Um, Miss Kim Ji Young is a sibling made to share a room with her sister while her little brother got a room of his own. Miss Kim Ji Young is a schoolgirl who has had to line up behind the boys in the lunch queue. Miss Kim Ji Young is a daughter whose father blamed her for being harassed at night. Miss Kim Ji Young is a good student who doesn't get put forward for internships. Miss Kim Ji Young excels at her job but gets overlooked for promotion. Miss Kim Ji Young is a wife who gives up her career and her independence for a life of domesticity. Miss Kim Ji Young has started act- acting strangely. Miss Kim Ji Young is depressed. Miss Kim Kim Ji Young is mad. Miss Kim Ji Young is her own woman. Miss Kim Ji Young is every woman. And it's really interesting. I didn't realize until after I looked it up afterwards. Um, the name apparently means it's like the equivalent of Jane Doe in Korean. Oh, that's really clever. Yeah. And the the writer, she's actually a screenwriter, I think, um, who wrote the novel. And she wrote it, she said it's partly based on her life, but partly based on every other Korean woman she knows. And it's like a compilation story. And it's a psychiatrist Mm. recounting the notes of a woman that he's treating. And it's, it's so, it's so heartbreaking. And also so blunt and so I don't know it's just oh god it's just so incredible and even though things are different in Korea um the gender pay gap is for instance I think apparently it's like the 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 biggest in any OECD country so it, it is you know things aren't as um as progressive as they are in Europe but still 
you know, it's a, in other ways, it's a really progressive country and it's a very wealthy country and it's sort of quite shocking, in fact, mm. just how imbalanced things are. But also I think what's quite shocking is that even though it's a bit more extreme than what we go through, you know, she's a very similar to age to us and actually you can recognise a lot of your own experiences mm. in yeah. it, which so is um, which is really, really confronting. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, no, I absolutely loved it and I kind of want everyone to read it. It's one of those books where you just, like, afterwards you just, like... You can't just, you can't, you can't forget it. You can't forget her. Yeah, it sounds brilliant. I'll need to read it. Yeah, it yeah. sounds really good. <sighs> so, <laughs> <laughs> on that note, um, I guess we will, um, we will see each other next week. I think so. I think we have thoroughly dismissed ideal conditions. And I think 2020 <laughs> did that to us as well. That's the thing, isn't it? I think it really, really did. It really kicked ideal conditions completely out of the water if they weren't out of the water already. And in fact, actually, that's what might be really um, a bit of an upside of the challenges of this past year, perhaps, mm-hmm. is this idea that, um, I mean, I think, um, oh, I told you earlier, <laughs> I wrote an article for a national newspaper, I think in the summer last year with my son jumping up and down on my lap and like listening to the same 30 seconds of an old episode of Mr. Ben over and over again and flapping his arms in front of my laptop. And I wrote a thousand word piece for a national newspaper under those conditions. And it was not fun and I don't recommend it. I really don't. But actually, it happened and it worked and the piece was fine. The piece didn't suffer. It was just more, it was not fun for me. Um, and I think it's interesting how this year has kind of reminded me how arbitrary sometimes our ideal conditions oh, are. absolutely. I think that um, it's made us all much more resilient as well because, you know, ideal conditions, there just aren't any. There are less. Yeah ideal conditions right now I've got the cat has just apparently landed himself on my knee so I'm hoping that the <laughs> microphone isn't picking up the sound of his purring but yeah there's less ideal conditions but we are certainly much more resilient I think yeah than I think so. Before. so and I'd- um and on that note I think it's probably a good thing to end on is this idea that perhaps we we we're never going to have ideal conditions but yeah. also we don't have to wait for better conditions either. We can do something now, even if it's not as much as we want, as often as we want, yeah, as quiet as we want and all those things, but we can, we can kind of keep persevering anyway. Absolutely. And I think that the important thing is to remember that even though it can be difficult to continue, it's the benefits of doing it far outweigh the disbenefits as well because you always feel better once you have surmounted some kind of difficulty and you've produced some sort of work it doesn't matter if it's maybe not the same quality or if it's not the same amount that you would like to just the act of doing it always makes you feel better at the end of it so it's definitely worth just keeping trying yeah absolutely right well I will let you go and I will see you next week see you next week You've been listening to Not Too Busy to Write with Ali Miller and Penny Windsor. You can find show notes, including the best ways to get in touch with us, as well as any reading recommendations mentioned in the episode at nottoobusytowrite.com. 
And if you're enjoying the show, don't forget to subscribe. And please go ahead and leave us a little review. It really helps others to find the podcast. You can find Ali on Instagram at Ali underscore Miller underscore writes and Penny at Penny Windsor. Music and editing is by Ewan Miller-McMeekin. <laughs>